They say that in the case of mysterious deaths, the first 48 hours are critical. If investigators can't make a breakthrough in that time, their chances of resolving the case are very much diminished. But what if you don't make a breakthrough in 48 hours or 48 days? What if you don't make a breakthrough in 48 years? Welcome to the mysterious case of Fred the Head, one of the UK's most baffling unsolved crimes. Episode 41 The Man Who Stepped Into Nowhere One of the constants throughout this whole investigation is a weekly trawl through old newspapers around the UK. Just in case we spot something that might be relevant, is there anywhere a report from the late 1960s that refers to someone who may have gone missing, who might just turn out to be Fred, an appeal? A police searcher, have you seen this man? Something, anything that provides the key to this mystery. Of course, lots of people do go missing, but the vast majority turn up, or sadly, are found dead, particularly the elderly or the very young. But most in the middle, the kind of age range we're interested in, well, they turn up, or maybe intentionally don't, choosing to step away from their old life into a new one. And it's a painstaking process, but fascinating. And when you have an investigation like this, it's unavoidable. Made more important, as those papers that we're searching are being constantly updated, you can't do the job once and then forget it, as the information base is increasing all the time. It's a job you need to repeat every now and again if you don't want to miss a crucial piece of evidence. So, that's a long-winded way of saying... That's what I found myself doing about 10 days ago, one evening, looking through the papers for any evidence of missing men from 1968 to 1970, this key period of time for this investigation. And for this purpose, I dismissed anyone that was younger than 18, anyone older than 45, and also people that couldn't physically be Fred, so six foot two with black curly hair. I ended up with 10 possibilities, and I did a deeper dive into those and eliminated a couple of them. Then I sent the list across to Jo for her second opinion and for her to look through ancestry records to see if any of them were still alive and slowly but surely she worked her way through that until we were left with just one. Someone we know is still missing today and someone, the more we looked into him, the more intrigued we became. And this episode is about that case. And the more we read into this case, the more interested we all became. And as I record this episode, because I'm doing it quite early, I'm still absolutely fascinated by it and the potential links to Fred. The more we dig, the more matches we get. It's very early in this investigation. And as we know, the likelihood is that it will lead anywhere is still low. But the solution to this will probably start very like this. So it's time for me to let you know about him. A man called John Gick. 
a man who disappeared and was never found. It's Saturday the 1st of February 1969, so exactly right in terms of when Fred died. John Gick is 37. He lives in Douglas in the Isle of Man. Now, I should explain for people not in the UK, the Isle of Man is a small island in the Irish Sea. It's kind of part of the UK and it isn't. It has different laws, for example, and it's about 50 miles away from Liverpool. John Gick lives in the capital of the Isle of Man, Douglas. He's unmarried. He still lives with his aged parents. He's a quiet, diligent, hard-working, cheery, unassuming man. He's worked for 22 years in the same business. He's an accounts clerk for the Isle of Man Steam Packet Company, the company that operates the Isle of Man ferry from Douglas, the capital, to Liverpool. He's a scout leader. He's been the island's commissioner for the Cubs for some years. And on this particular day, he travels on the Isle of Man ferry from the Isle of Man with a party of 12 scouts to attend a gang show. Now that's like a scout meeting where lots of scouts from the area attend and they have a party and a bit of a jamboree and songs and that type of thing. And this gang show was in Birkenhead. Now, a note on the geography here. Liverpool lies on one side of the River Mersey. On the other side is the town of Birkenhead, directly opposite. The song, Ferry Across the Mersey, refers to the ferry journey between the two. And really strangely, it's where I grew up. But as you know, I've got an alibi. After taking some of the scouts to the Scout HQ in Borough Road, Birkenhead, a place I know very well, he said he had to leave for a business appointment which is a little strange for a Saturday for an account clerk from the Isle of Man. But he would return later. He left about 3.30, but he said he'd be back for the show in the evening at around 6.40. He called on a friend in Osmiston Road, Prenton. Now, Prenton is a district of Birkenhead, but he left there after having a cup of tea at 4pm. From then on, the movements become hazy but it's believed he travelled to Liverpool. He never turned up for the evening performance. But in the early evening, Gick's unlocked blue minivan was found at Prince's landing stage at the pierhead in Liverpool. The front passenger seat was stained with blood and a blood-stained handkerchief was in the passenger side door compartment. Though Gick was known to suffer from regular nosebleeds. Later, it was discovered that at about 5pm he'd been attacked in the city centre and that three youths had beaten him and robbed him. He was set upon in a public lavatory and left lying on the floor. His post office bank book was taken, but later was found in possession of one of these three youths. These three pled guilty to robbing him but stated categorically they were not involved in any disappearance. These men were John Fitzsimmons, Thomas Roach and Arthur Burke. 
Did he then drive injured his car to the landing stage at the pierhead in Liverpool? It seems a strange thing to do. Detectives also interviewed a man in St Helens who had received a letter on the Saturday he went missing from John Gick. John Gick was never ever seen again. Or not quite. In a bizarre twist of the story he was spotted several times after the disappearance. The most compelling of which was by a man called Michael Casey who was the chief engineer in one of the boats of the Isleman Steam Packet Company, the same company as Gig. And he was convinced he saw him at Morpeth Dock in Birkenhead. He was standing next to him waiting for a barrier to raise. He even said to him, good morning. And the man didn't answer, but ran off at a jog trot as soon as the crossing gates opened. He was convinced it was him and they knew each other by sight. Gick had worked with him in the same company for 22 years. He was only four or five feet away from him. Michael Casey at the time said, I was sure it was him, waiting for the level crossing gate to rise. Now, why am I interested in John Gick, a man that goes missing in Liverpool, 120 miles away from Burton? Well, it's really about the physical match between Fred and John Gick. And I want to take you through all those things. Firstly, height. It's given as five foot seven on average, so that's right. His age. He's 37 when he disappears. He's about to be 38. Now, that's a little old but it's definitely within the range given at the time. His hair, it's exactly right. It's short. I'm going to be posting some images onto the Facebook page, but his hair was way shorter than standard for 1969. This is probably because he was working in the Isle of Man. He was a long way away from the kind of cultural things were going on in Liverpool at the time. So his hair was really quite short, much, much shorter than normal, and an exact match for Fred. Fourthly, he's an accounts clerk. He's not a manual worker. I'd put a lot of money on him having neat fingernails. He's built, that's also right. He's described as being slim, and the pictures we've got of him very much match that. His teeth, and this is where it gets very, very interesting. In one report, they're described as protruding. Now, we don't know whether that means the upper jaw or the lower jaw, but clearly there may be some dental or potential dentistry taking place there. And the lifestyle. He's a 37-year-old bachelor living with his mother and father, and he's a scoutmaster. Now, I've thought for a while there may be a sexual, homosexual hate crime involved in this. And I don't mean to be stereotypical about this, but is he potentially a gay man? That's possible, and we can't ignore that. And on that subject, something quite important. The Isle of Man is not like the rest of the UK. 
I mentioned earlier, it has its own laws. It had its own laws on homosexuality. In the UK, homosexual activities between consenting adults had been legalised in 1967, but not in the Isle of Man. It was a criminal offence in the Isle of Man until 1992, 23 years after John Gick goes missing. And he had an altercation in a gent's toilet. Just makes me think. Now the problem with John Gick being Fred is that all this takes place in Liverpool, miles away from Burton. He has no obvious connection with Burton. And at the moment, I don't really have an answer to that. But there are two things to bear in mind. Remember, there was a man from North Wales. The police were really sure was Fred. He had no connection with Burton either. But yet they did the DNA test because they were sure it was him. The other thing is maybe we're looking at this the wrong way. Maybe it's not the victim that had the connection with Burton. Maybe the killer had a connection with Burton and they knew exactly where to put John Gick where he'd never be found. So that is John Gick. Is it definitely Fred? No. But it's a good start. And there are three other things I just want to talk to you about that we think also strengthen an argument that John Gick might be Fred. Firstly, the name, Gick. It's slightly unusual. We did a bit of digging on this. Its origin, it's German, Central European ancestry. Does that play into the Cranid ID analysis of the skull? Years, ancestors back. It's a small thing, but it's something that occurred to us. And also, and hats off to Joe here, back to the teeth. She had the presence of mind to check for information for any misspelling of Gick. The only misspelling that yielded anything was Glick. There was a newspaper report that reported him as being John Glick. Now that name is wrong, but that report contained within it something very, very interesting. In that report, they specifically mentioned the teeth. And I'll read it. It says, he's described as five foot six to five foot seven of slim build. His two front teeth were slightly receding. His two front teeth were slightly receding. They were set behind his bottom teeth. That's an underbite. And we know Fred had an underbite. It was one of his most unusual and noticeable physical traits. Now, one final thing. Fred had torticollis. That can be something that develops over time, but it can be caused by an injury. Was that torticollis symptom the result of the assault that John Gick suffered from those thugs in the toilet? I needed to speak with Jo. She's been immersing herself in this case for the last week, and she knows things that even I don't know. Well, 
Joe, you've been a busy lady, haven't you, in relation to uh, Mr. Git? Well, it's really strange that you um the other the other evening when we were having a bit of fun looking at missing people, missing people list. And uh, you said, oh, how about John Gick? And I said to you, do you know, I looked at him for the gentleman of Heligoland. Yeah. And, um, you know, I decided he couldn't be because he wasn't hadn't got the right profile. I said, but I'll go back to him because he's the one out of this long list. I think you gave me 10 names. Yeah, I did. He was the one that has never been accounted for. One of the things I want to know more about, because I know you've thought, given a lot of thought to this, is the circumstances of him going missing. And and you know a little bit more about that in terms of what happened after he dropped the scouts off in Birkenhead. So just, can you just talk to me about that in a bit more detail? Yeah, it was very, very hard to get the timeline, Ken. Very, very hard. So I was absolutely dependent on finding as many newspaper reports as I could. Um, so you've probably already said that, you know, he and the boys had got over to Liverpool. we got 12 scouts with him. Yeah. And the gang show that was going to be in Birkenhead. Yeah. Uh, I imagine you've explained to the listeners the relationship between Birkenhead and Liverpool. I have. Yeah. Now, um, we're told by uh, a man called Arthur Fenn in the newspapers who was a friend of a friend of, of Gick's and he was a member of the scout group committee and he was with them. So we're told from the horse's mouth, um, they arrived in Liverpool at 1.30, Gick dri- drives Arthur Fenn over to Birkenhead. That's, do you always have to go on the boat, Ken, to drive over? No, okay. he more likely went under the, uh, the Birkenhead tunnel. Yeah, long time since I've been to Liverpool. Uh, not sure how the boys got to Birkenhead. They went to the Birkenhead Scout headquarters. Uh, some of the boys had tea. And at 3.30, he leaves the boys, and I'm assuming Arthur Fenn, with the Birkenhead Assistant District Scout Commissioner, Mr. Coftree. And um, another friend, Mr. Eric Bushell, uh, said Gick was going to see Mary Coftree, who's the wife of the Scout Commissioner, in Prenton, Birkenhead. Which is a dis- district of Birkenhead, is no more than about half a mile from Borough Road. And uh, he left them around 3.30. And, Ken, wait for this, he had the tickets in his pocket. I've thought about that a lot, actually, because they never see him again, so they probably had to, to beg their way into the gang show. I mean, it's not funny, really, I know. But it does um, sound like he intended to go back. Yeah, I have no doubt he intended to go back. Um, um, everybody says he was in great form, you know, enjoying every moment of the trip. Uh, Mrs Coftry said they had a cup of tea. Now, he was only there about 20 minutes, Um and he ran through with her how how to actually get to the gang show. So he's still intent on going there. And he said he'd be coming back to Birkenhead to help drive members of the party to the show at 6.40. And he's going back to Liverpool. And mm-hmm. um, he's a little bit vague about why he's going back. Uh, Chief Superintendent Alec Williams of Birkenhead said it's believed he'd he'd gone to make one or two purchases. Um, Gick had apparently told some of the boys earlier on that he'd got a business appointment. That's true. With, with the steam packet company, 
But there were inquiries made and the packet company said, no, not at all. We have not made an appointment, least of all on a Saturday. So he's been a little bit vague about why he wanted to go. So the next thing we know happened to Gick is that he gets assaulted in a gent's toilet in the city centre of Liverpool. Yeah. It's at the James Street uh, public yeah. toilets. And um, it is a brutal assault, Ken. Absolutely brutal. Uh, do I do need to pick up on that later, actually, because it's relevant to Fred, actually. I, I, I'm, I'm going to mention this. Um, I, I feel um, that the reason he was pretty keen to get over to Liverpool was because if he was gay, as I'm pretty sure he was actually for certain reasons um he lived on the isle of man and being gay was entirely illegal there mm -hmm. and i think he and it was newly legal in the uk yeah relatively newly legal but 18 months yeah and i think that when you live a very closeted life on the isle of man uh somebody gay the idea then of getting over to the mainland and having some kind of cathartic experience, it, you can really understand that. And and I think he went to the toilets at James Street, which is not far from the pierhead, actually, where his car was found, to yeah. actually, you know, to have a, a, a sexual encounter. Yeah, and the reason I I think that's very likely is something very small and obscure in one of the newspaper reports about the trial of these three boys these are the boys that assaulted him yeah they know for certain these are the boys that assaulted him yes they had no doubt they they mm. couldn't pin his disappearance on the media um i actually don't think the boys did ha have anything to do with disappearance by the way but they mm. brutally assaulted him but there's um part one of the newspaper accounts. Um, a young lady called Barbara Lomax, um, who knew one of the boys, a boy called Fitzsimmons, who she uh, said that Fitzsimmons had said to her he had rolled this bloke in the toilets. Uh, he said, and I think this is on the first of February. We rolled a fella today. This is when they were at a, a pub and a club we rolled a fellow today and she didn't know what he meant by roll and Fitzsimmons said if you don't know now you'll never know now Ken and what does it mean well I, I just was does it, mean killed, does it mean killed someone does it no I looked it up um I had heard it before you know and it can have two meanings one can be rob and the other one is definitely sexual encounter now, the reason I think it's the the latter, it's the way he says to her, now, what do you know? What do you mean by role? If you don't know now, you'll never know. Now, boys used to say that to me when I yeah. used to ask, you know, those naive questions. Oh, what, what, what do you mean by such? Oh, if you don't know now, you never will. It was the no, kind you're of right. birds and bees talk, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't sound like a robbery. Uh, no. explanation does it i, I right. think it's that and okay. i think those boys did that just probably for a laugh oh, they're not nice these lads can i tell you 
Hmm. And then then they rob him as he's um, going up the stairs. Well, they batter him. I mean, it's awful. Someone, one of them, who is it? Well, it doesn't matter, but uh, punched him somewhere near the neck. Well, that becomes um, relevant later, doesn't it? Very much so. Somebody else kicks him as he's lying on the ground somewhere on his arm. So presumably he's in a bit of a state. He's probably, I mean, is he unconscious? Did I read that? Yeah, they say when they when they run away and leave him that, that he's he's not moving. Now, they do go back, they say, and he's no longer there. Do they? Yeah, they said they went back and um he'd gone one of them and he'd gone. Yeah. He 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 must look terrible. Well, this is what I'm thinking, Ken. When you have been beaten up like that, you will look absolutely terrible. You're blooded. You will have you'll already have black black eyes, black face. He has been robbed of his post office bank account, which I do believe his bank book, which I do believe had a thousand pounds in it. Okay. You, if you are respectable, lovely person like he was, and he was very well thought of by everybody, very well thought of where he worked, he'd worked there a long time. His family loved him. Nobody had a bad word to say about him. If you are a respectable man like that, I don't think he could face going back to Birkenhead and trying to explain what had happened to him. I think it was too much for him. I think that was a complete rock bottom. And I think from that moment, he literally goes underground no. until, until his sad death. Well, there's two options there. I mean, he's at the pier head. He could jump, he could jump into the Mersey uh, if, he's, if, it's a, if he's at that rock bottom. Now, the issue is people jump into the Mersey generally get found in the Mersey. And, yes. and he never was. And he never, ever was. Uh, that's, so that's right, Ken. Later piece uh, reports do say that they had constantly, you know, because they constantly find bodies um, yeah, in do. the Mersey and they always checked to see it was if it was him. So he doesn't end up bobbing up in the Mersey as you would. Uh, the other option is he takes some kind of massive life choice and says, I'm, I'm getting out of here. But that would put him in all kinds of difficult places in terms of vulnerability. He would be absolutely at the mercy of people living on the fringes of society who would kind of um, possibly take care of him or at least put up with him. Um it's interesting, you know, because the police, um, as well as constantly looking in the Mersey and seeing if any bodies were him, they also spent time going round to different clubs, apparently, and um, doesn't say what kind of clubs, and, you know, giving descriptions of him and saying, have you seen this man? And, of course, three months later, there's a, a report, a pretty good report, of a man who worked with him for years, four feet away from him, saying, I saw him. I said hello to him. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. That yeah. implies... That he's alive still. This punch that you mentioned in the neck, mm. that's relevant, isn't it, in relation to the torticollis thing? You know, if it is Fred, Fred's got torticollis, that we know that could be caused by injury. This could have been that injury. Yes. In fact, because, I mean, this, this 
this lad, one of the lads, um, he remembers that clearly. You know, I saw Roach punched a fellow twice, once in the stomach when he rolled over, punched him again somewhere near the neck. Um, I kicked him. He lay on the ground. Um, I mean, there was, yeah, it wasn't nice. Not nice. And that neck, he remembers that. This boy remembers him being punched near the neck. So I think that could be important. It could be. I guess the the other thing that's important, I haven't really mentioned it so far, but it is important, is, so this guy's from the Isle of Man. Yeah. That's why the dental records weren't traceable in the UK. I'm 100% certain that the police never went to the Isle of Man checking dental records. 100% certain. And, you know, when they exhibited, because they exhibited his dental records at this big dental exhibition in London the year after, nobody nobody spotted them well nobody from the isle of man is going down to london for a dental exhibition either it's just too much hassle so this is potentially an explanation for why the dentistry was never spotted in the uk yeah you'd mentioned that to me the couple of nights ago when we were doing our fun 10 people and you said you know it's really interesting joe because he's from the isle of man that could be why, you know, his dental records uh, didn't come up. I'm certain about that now. And and the other thing that, that i kind of been thinking about, tossing around in my mind is, you know, he's not got an obvious connection to Burton. That's a bit of a hole. You know, that's a bit of a thing that needs explanation. But then I realised it doesn't really matter because if the killer had a link to Burton, and specifically that site. John Gick doesn't need one because no. this man is, whoever killed him, is depositing him there because it's a site he knows, not a site that John Gick knows. No. You know, I take the view that if he did go underground, you know, and started to, you know, hang around with people who would in some way, you know, help him along, he could end up anywhere in Britain, Ken. It could be yeah. anywhere. And Burton is just as likely as anywhere else where people move around to. So I think, you're, I think you're right. I think you're right. Okay. So, hey, absolutely wonderful uh, investigation on your part. And uh, I really, really do appreciate well, it. Can I, can I just end with something that um, yeah. Arthur, Arthur Fenn said? You know, his friend had also, you know, gone to the scout thing. He said... Um, I think he is in a position where he can't let us know about him. Wow. He said, John is such a mature fellow and of such a type, he would be concerned that any was anybody was worried about him and get in touch. And I was reading that and I was thinking that Fenn is thinking something really bad has happened. You know, either, you know, he's dead or he literally cannot. He's in a position where he can't he's alive but he can't let people know about him he knew him well didn't he and and, he knew him well and he feels that he must be somewhere in a position where he can't let us know and he thinks he's alive i wonder if that's what he was thinking we'll never know because this lovely after then it's 55 at the time um but he won't he won't be around now uh what's your gut feel ken i don't know he really his profile is so much fred and i really hope this is followed up 
I think it's the closest we've got, and that's as far as I'm going to go on this. I know. It's still probably unlikely, but so many things about this match in a way that nothing else has ever matched. And, you know, I think we've got to see this one right through to the bitter end. Also, I'm glad her story has been told because I said yeah. to you the other day, it's a tragic story, a tragic story. And, do you know, it only ever seemed to be reported in the Liverpool papers. I never found a national report of it. And and these things like this happen to people, lovely people like him at that time. And um, thank God we don't live in that world now. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you've told his story. Well, I'm glad you've helped me do it. Brilliant. Thanks, Joe. You look after yourself. And uh, I think things will move pretty quickly on this one. Hope so. Bye-bye, Ken. See you soon. Bye-bye. So thanks, Joe. She's been remarkably diligent throughout this whole investigation. I mentioned earlier in the podcast that I'd sent over a synopsis of this case to the police. To their credit, they've been straight back to me. And I just spent the last half an hour talking to one of their officers about John Gick and why we think John Gick is definitely worthy of much, much closer examination. They seem to be taking it very seriously, so I'm grateful for that. And John Gick, even though he disappears from Liverpool, seems to possess all of the features we're looking for, and he's still missing. But just to manage expectations, we do have to be realistic. It's still a long shot. But it feels by far the closest we've come to finding an identity for Fred. It's still unlikely, but at least it's a possibility. So, therefore, I do believe it's worth checking John Gick's DNA through the remaining family members just to rule him in or out. And I've never asked the police for that before because I don't want to waste police time. But something tells me this time it's worth doing and I'll keep you posted. If I need to give you another quick update, I will. And as always, feel free to contact me with your thoughts and your suggestions at fredtheheadpodcast at gmail.com. But until next time, have a good one. The Mysterious Case of Fred the Head is a GSE Media production. Written, produced and narrated by myself, Ken Davis.